Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Beginners to stage. Beginners to stage. Hello everyone and welcome to the first of our Cry Havoc backstage episodes. In this companion series, we'll be talking to the creatives behind the show to find out about what went into making it. I'm your host, Laurie Ann Davis, pronouns she, her, and today we are talking about just generically, the making of Cry Havoc, kind of to give us a foundation to build on as we go on. And I am joined by Amani Zado and David K. Barnes, and I would like to ask them to introduce themselves with their pronouns in alphabetical order. So Amani, would you like to go first? Sure, I'm Amani Zado. I am directing a Cry Havoc Ask Questions Later and my pronouns are she, her. Lovely. And David? Hello, I'm David K. Barnes, he, him, and I created and was the head writer on Cry Havoc, Ask Questions Later. Very well done. Oh, thank First you. question, nailed, cool. everyone. Oh. Off to a flying start. Is it time for a break? <laughs> it is time for a break. So oh. <laughs> enjoy these ads and we'll be back in. <laughs> no. Uh, Actually, what it's time for is the opposite of relaxing, because the first question I have Hmm. is for you, David. Yes. And it's just an easy, easy question. Please, in less than two minutes, ideally, can you summarize the historical context that we need to know about Rome and Egypt before we listen to this show? Um, Yeah. Would you like to just go? (sighs) Come on, David, you did a degree in this. Okay, historical context. Rome, we've all heard of Rome, ancient Rome. 753 BC is apparently when ancient Rome gets kicked off. It's a monarchy, you've got kings. Uh, These kings uh, tend to get a bit despotic, and so they are kicked out. Uh, Rome from then on says, we do not want kings ever, ever again. This will become very important about uh, 700 years later. (laughs) It's replaced by a republic. Republic literally meaning thing of the people. It's run by aristocratic families in what's called a senate, which apparently comes with the word senex, which literally means old man. Um, It is meant to be uh, a democratic institution. It's uh, lots of different people all making decisions together, lots of controls and balances. You don't have a king, you have a consul. In fact, you have two consuls elected on, on a one-year term. You've got magistrates and praetors and lots of administrators. It's a, it's a huge administration heaven. And it does very well for you know, a few hundred years. Rome expands, it, it you know, conquers other territories, does all the things that you, you, you expect Rome to sort of do. But the larger it gets, it, the harder it is to keep running smoothly. Essentially, uh, the Republic has 
three problems, all of which kind of crop up in our series. One is the senators are all very privileged, they're very wealthy individuals. They do supposedly represent different bits of the Roman Republic, but they're not really representing the interests of the poor, and this tends to lead to people getting somewhat disgruntled. Two, you don't have political parties in a Senate. You have, you have factions, sort of loose factions. Um, you don't have anything like the Democrats and the Republicans or, or Tories and Labour in the UK, anything like that. You just have various individuals who are quite popular with some, and they're all trying to sort of elbow each other to get influence. And that leads to coercion, bribery, intimidation, violence eventually. And when you combine individuals like that, these very charismatic and ambitious political individuals, with a very discontented populace, you get populism which is uh, these sort of key individuals of a very good link to the people, especially the army who want to seize total power. And so the 100 years leading up to Cry Havoc, which I'll summarise in a sentence, is a lot of these sorts of powerful men all vying for huge power, lots of civil wars, the Republic kind of breaking down until we end with Julius Caesar, the most famous Roman of them all, probably. Intelligent, charismatic, his political acuity, military genius, the complete package, really. He's very popular. But he wants to be dictator in perpetuity. He wants to rule Rome, uh, be the undisputed leader of Rome until the day he dies, which comes much sooner than he thinks. Because a group of senators stab him to death in 44 BC, which is the event that leads us straight into the very, very beginning, the first few lines of Cry Havoc, Ask Questions Later. Uh, Yeah. That, that's a thing. Good job. That was so well good. Well done. That was three minutes, actually. Yeah, I thought it was three minutes. I thought, you know what? I can wangle an extra minute out of that. <laughs> oh, now you know how soft I am, how, how much of a pushover. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what? I had thought before starting these episodes, I was like, gosh, do I need to like brush up on my actual Roman history knowledge? <laughs> but I think it's good that I'll just learn. I'm going to treat this as a, as a learning process for me. No, I, I feel that's fine. I mean, the, ideally, the, the, the whole series is very much written from the point of view of if you know a bit about Rome, great, but hopefully you shouldn't need to know anything. And in fact, if you know mm. too much about it, you'll know all the things <laughs> I've changed and you'll get annoyed. So, yeah. you know, if you come into the series knowing nothing about Rome at all, yeah, great. Stick around. I am your ideal audience, your target audience, in fact. So that's good to know. My second question is, what made you want to write this story? Why Roman Egypt? Maybe there was a clue in what you said there that you do have a degree in this. I do. Uh, I was chatting with, some years ago, Alexander Jane Yule, who who listeners may have distantly heard of, who suggested doing a um, historical period series because there were too many of those in the podcasting space certainly at that time and discussed various of subjects and um yeah one that i've always uh, i've always been interested in in ancient rome um and in particular this this era of ancient rome it, it is the period with, with mark antony and cleopatra and so on this is this is the period of rome with the sort of marquee title celebrity historical figures the ones that even if you know nothing about rome you've heard the name mark antony you probably know cleopatra julius caesar you might not know what they've done but you've heard of them and it's a sort of a terrific period it's my favorite period of of history but so more than that is i suppose when I sort of really came to sort of putting the series together in terms of this initial idea, it was 2020, lockdown had come in. And of course, we were all, you know, somewhat agitated about, um, not COVID regulations itself, about the uh, politicians setting them, then breaking them. Mm. And so the general sense of the people in charge of scrambling around and panicking and all, all that kind of thing. And I very rarely write directly political material. And even when I start writing a political show like this one, I, I then very quickly veer off into sort of, you know, wacky gags about admin but what I kind of want to do is a series which 
not necessarily a series about ancient Rome, but I wanted to do a comedy series about sort of political mismanagement and the sort of panic that goes on at the top, at which happened to be set in Rome. And that could be a very wonderful playground backdrop for this series about people panicking at the very top of power, the people below trying to suffering from this, and uh, a good sort of melting pot and playground to throw in lots of other ideas that I had and wanted to do, like uh, a theatre company, and you know have. Uh, and he see can potter in and fall over the furniture. <laughs> so that's sort of where it sort of came from. And uh, I, I, I already had the interest in Rome. I had a new story. I thought I'd slap the two together and see if anyone wanted it. And Rusticle did. That's great. It was, it was dead handy, that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so 2020, that's when you started writing it, did you say? Like, is that when it was first conceived of as well? Yes, I'd say, yeah. 2020, I think originally I had this idea of... I think originally I wanted to do a kind of um, almost like a screwball comedy, like one of those old Hollywood screwball comedies that Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn and so on used to do, and set it in ancient Rome with these sort of Roman political characters and do this big romantic comedy. And, um, and that sort of got massaged into, well, can we focus actually more on the politics of what was going on at the time and more of a dark political piece? Um, but that then turns into maybe a sort of, uh, a sort of a farcical series, sort of as it goes on. I like to put the farce right there from the beginning um, and make it quite silly to start off with. I, I like sort of a general, a good surface layer of silliness with a sort of a, a meaning somewhere underneath. <laughs> That's where I'm sort of quite, quite comfortable. But 2020 was where it started and then really sort of got put together more in um, 2021. Particularly, start to help me get put together when when Amani came in. He says desperately trying to find a segue so that somebody else can talk, <laughs> and, and then it went on from there. <laughs> I, w- I mean, I was about to say, and like, there's someone else who's been quiet because I haven't asked you any questions. This is Amani. Where did you come into this? I got involved, I guess, back in 2021. I just got an email from someone I didn't know called April Sumner of Rusty Quill <laughs> asking me to interview for this Roman podcast show. And honestly, my first thought was, what? <laughs> because um, I yeah, hadn't ever done any audio and uh, my work tends to be um, contemporary and female focused and super diverse. And I was like, why has someone asked me to do a show that's about old dead white men? <laughs> but uh, eventually we had a meeting and uh, had a really good chat with April. And then she sent me um, David's initial Bible and I loved it. I thought, wow, this is kind of a, a massive, massive show with like so much, so much range to, like, so much opportunity to do stuff. Obviously, we're mm. working with these huge historical characters, you know, Mark Antony, Gaius Octavius, who goes on to become the first emperor, Augustus, Cleopatra, Queen of the Nile, and putting that in a context, which David is just fantastic at, of weaving really fun comedy whilst giving us space to poke fun at, at politicians and people in power, which uh, I'm always always here for. So yeah, I got really excited about that and luckily it all worked out for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you're really selling the show there as well, Amani. That does sound amazing. Oh, thank you, actually. that is my job. It is it is amazing. <laughs> Everyone should listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please listen, listen to the show. So when you came on board, Amani, that was actually earlier in the life of the show than I realised. What did it look like working together, both of you, Amani and David? Like, what, how did that 
work? Yeah. So, well, I feel like I should clarify that David has obviously been working on this show for a long time. It takes time to birth a baby like this. Um, so there was actually quite a lot of work that uh, David had already done. As I say, there was a Bible, there was a pilot episode that already set up in quite a lot of detail our main players and and set out, you know, a sort of quite a sort of large through line for the show. Oh, yeah. No, I think um, it's always very helpful for a creator trying to put together a story to have somebody come in and say, you know what you've already done? It's very good. It just sort of helps you carry on with it. <laughs> but that whilst we, you know, we did have an outline sort of worked out, I think, you know, I then sort of developed that outline with um, Amani for a number of months in which we really thought about uh, the, the central characters, the world we're going to create, these are the tone that we wanted for it. In, in long detail, we'd have like hours of discussions about, say, just, you know, four hours on Mark Antony, or a number of hours on Cleopatra. And as the storylines sort of developed and changed, we'd also come up with new plot twists or new things that we could add or how to give dramatic action to... It, it, you, you can write in a, an outline you know, so-and-so, they, they, they end up getting closer. And you go, well, that's a vague sort of cheat for a writer to try and work out later on. And Amani's very good at going, no, no, don't, don't work out later on. Work it out mm. now so you know what to do later on. And you go, yeah, all right. And then, you know, it's, <laughs> it's always the best decision. Uh, generally, quite often, there, there were times I thought, well, I've done my job. And Amani would come and look at it and go, well, I think we can make it better here, here, here. And you'd, five minutes, you go, oh, for, oh come, no, it's perfect. As it and you walk off and you come back, you're, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. And <laughs> every note that Amani gave was absolutely bang on and uh, made things immeasurably better than they would have been. <laughs> it, yeah, just sort of bouncing off on the sort of the developing characters, themes, action. Amani's also really good at identifying moments of good dramatic action and finding how can we dig into more of that and give the actors even more to do. How do we actually make this as exciting as it can be? I think there are a lot of events per episode in Cry Havoc, which is something that I had done in Wooden Overcoats, my previous um, show, which I'm probably best known for um, before, which has quite a lot going on each episode. I think Cry Havoc has even more going on in most episodes. <laughs> the, the story has a lot of different plot lines and characters and things going on, as you know, I have been asked, yes, please give us your version of a big Roman epic. And I went, yeah, all right. <laughs> and Amani was very much on board of that and sort of developing these e extra stories and, and things. To, totally. Yeah. The more stories, the better, Absolutely. basically. Yes, lovely. This is so nice. I love having my ego stroked this way. <laughs> Thank you, David. This is just going to be a wonderful episode. <laughs> I feel like I'm witnessing something beautiful right now. <laughs> it's very nice to see that. It's, you've obviously had a very lovely working relationship. It's nice to witness. Yeah, totally. working for Marnie on this has been absolutely terrific. Because I think we, we become the material from sort of different perspectives that then have a big overlap. So we've got, we both have a lot of individual things to, mm. to, to add to throw in there. And particularly... I think Armani being very much a sort of a film director, very much of a strong sort of visual eye for, for images, and then I suppose approaching something like this, audio, being how do I translate that, which just means that there are a lot of opportunities in this to make something as cinematic as possible, which I think Armani's unique perspective on that just allows her to think, well, look, how can I make this scene or this, this moment resonate best and you know in, in a my sort of visual eye in my head just through through the audio and i you know i'm pretty good at writing, writing audio myself so it kind of synchronizes very well <laughs> yeah totally yeah we definitely came at this like i mean we really wanted to try and and make something very different with this series both in terms of scope in terms of the historical context and the actual content that we're 
creating, the story that we're building, but also from a production point of view. And obviously that always starts with a script. Like, how do we make this as cinematic an experience as possible in an audio format? And yeah, David just basically ran with it. <laughs> I was wondering, actually, Imani, actually reading the pilot, given, of course, a lot of people, when we think of Rome and we think of Hollywood's Rome and we think of things like, like, like Gladiator and so on, it's big epic battles, it's, it's big fight scenes, etc. The fighting is all finished by the beginning of episode one and the most significant length scene is three men sitting around a table failing to have a meeting <laughs> how is it coming to that from a position of yeah exciting drama and you get a script with like a, a 12 page scene of that how, how did you feel how did, how did that sort of work from a uh, you know dramatically exciting material and it's like ah, i'm having some peanuts well i mean i feel like everyone is always interested in relationships right so yeah. it reminds me a lot i know that's one of your inspirations that you mentioned right at the beginning was the thick of it yeah. i was also watching the west wing while we were working on this and and i was like yeah okay that's a tv show it's not a, an epic film but i sort of love that behind the scenes of you know behind the closed doors of political power and the elite of the world, the people that make decisions that affect all of us, what happens there and how silly is it? Are they actually just normal human beings like uh, you and I? And, you know, do they say silly things and make ridiculous mistakes? And I think that's extremely uh, engaging, actually, (laughs) to watch or listen to. Yeah, I I suppose I'm one of those people coming to a sort of political comedy like, like this, usually assuming... Assuming to you that most bad decisions come from incompetency. I think a number of bad decisions come from malice as well, but I think more often that it comes from genuine incompetency and then trying to cover up after your incompetency and making it worse. Which, I'm not sure if that's letting people off the hook. I don't think it is, because I, I, I also take a very dim view of incompetency. But <laughs> I think if, if you're in a, in, a, in a position of supreme power, which you wanted and have been working towards, and you know you've been working towards having responsibility towards thousands, millions of people, then you, you should, you know, down well, be good at it. <laughs> and and have a plan and know what mm. you're doing. And then to sort of contrast somebody who definitely has a plan, like Gaius Octavius, with somebody like Mark Antony, who's clearly in it just for the glory, I think one of the ways I also try to pitch this for somebody, you know, if anyone who didn't know anything about Rome was imagine if, if it's like a, a high school comedy and you've got like the, the most stereotypical nerd character you can think of and a stereotypical sort of like sports jock and they hate each other, but they now have to run a country together and take it from there. And that was Mark Antony and, and Garth Octavius in my head as a, as a baseline. Gosh, there was so so much in that that you just fired like hundreds of thoughts and questions. <laughs> this is basically like David and my chats, like making Rome, yeah. just like five hours on the phone. Yeah. Like, Ooh, what do we hate about the world? And what would we do to make it funny? <laughs> what do we want to needle? So, I mean, you've already done this a bit, but I, I want to ask about the themes of the show. Mm. And I guess, how did that change from conception and also with the addition mm. of Amani as well? What new things were brought? Has it changed much? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it definitely has changed. I think that the, the base level of the story has remained broadly how it is, but the, the exact mm. nature of the relationships, how they're dramatised, has altered. And in particular, there is always a bit of a... Because this, I think episode one of the series mainly focuses on sort of the, the growing, you know, that tension between Gaius and, and, and Mark and, and the problems in Rome. As, as the series goes on, other plot lines will, will arise as well. One thing is that there are, there are a number of scenes which were always so far away in the kind of the political stuff. As in, at some point, characters need to come together and try to sort of, uh, you know, engage in, in, in diplomatic games of trying to, you know, negotiate for stuff. And quite frequently, a problem I ran 
ran into was, well, how do you make people negotiating for, you know, grain supply, etc., exciting or funny and the answer is for the most part you can't and so we try to really work out limit those scenes and then work out what's going to happen in those scenes what's the dramatic sort of background of them or what are the typically I think again Amani's sort of visual eye is you know what 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 the character's physically doing and I think okay what we what can they be doing that's funny and so as the series goes on it's very rare we have a scene of just some politicians come sit down at their table and start trying to hash things out either it's taking place at gladiatorial games and one of them is bored and watching people try to kill each other. Or a, a typical favour of mine, they're trying to have lunch or they're, they're having a buffet. <laughs> and then people are so much more interested in what they're eating and trying to elbow each other out of the way. And they will not talk about what they're actually meant to be there for, which I think most people who've ever had a meeting in any kind of office will know this is quite true. Because the last thing you want to do is actually talk about the thing you're, you're paid to be there for. And so... I, I think there was a number of yeah the, the number of those sort of the episodes there you know some of them had very uh, very clear like this happens and this happens and this happens but it was through working sitting down and working out with Amani in these very long conversations about okay these are the characters and we're developing but how can we find an uh, exciting way to dramatize this relationship blossoming or this sort of thing sort of decaying or, or this and that and how do we do it in a way which is exciting interesting to, to hear it isn't something that people have necessarily heard before. And, and particularly, how do we make sure it's, it, it's active? I, I, I don't like a series where people just tell each other who they are and what their feelings are. I want to see it demonstrated. And that's something I like to do through dialogue and through the, the action. And certainly, Amani said, I want this, you know, this bit here is, you know, can we get a bit more exciting? Can we get an extra tension by doing X, Y, and Z? And you go, oh, yeah. And then that would spark off an idea. And that happened very frequently, this kind of idea ping pong between the two of us where you go this idea this scene this chat between two characters is interesting on an intellectual level how do we get a bit more guts and then how do you make it a bit more active what should they be doing what are they working towards how does this scene move the story on from a place it wasn't at before the scene started that's something that um i, I was i was already doing or of course i'm 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 bloody brilliant but <laughs> amani really sort of rev that up and sort of put a huge motor there and uh, so much of the sort of the developing storyline would not be what it is without uh, those those many lengthy conversations with Amani um, during the development of the series. Yeah, I think that it became very important to the both of us that everything that we put into the series, into the story, is there for a reason, that it's yeah. it's moving the story forward. And so, you know, at the end of the day, it's about relationships and power struggle and who can get what from whom and uh, can you get them to play ball and how are you going to get them to play ball? And yeah, I mean, David was just fantastic at coming up with these really hilarious and ingenious ways of of doing exactly that of moving the story forward and sort of revealing aspects of the character so every time we see them interacting with someone else we're learning something new about each character while we're moving the story along i think motivation is is very important when you've got a series which is Mm. about Roman politicians and Roman generals in the first century BC who were trying to secure ultimate power. Now, personally, I have no specific, like, you know, in, in my daily life, I, I have no particular way of accessing that. I don't know what that's like. I don't know any sort of megalomaniac politicians in my day-to-day life personally. <laughs> 
many of the listeners might, but I, I personally don't. And so how do you access that for, for writing? And I think it's you need to give the characters relatable motivations that we all know. And sometimes that's just literally can be as simple as a character is hungry and so wants this meeting over with as soon as possible so they can go and get lunch. Yeah. And in the heat of that moment, you might end up sort of signing off on a very bad decision that you haven't fought through. And then that has repercussions. And sooner or later, you know, a town has been obliterated. You know, that's the sort of thing where a very relatable, ordinary motivation can have huge dramatic yeah. impetus. I'm also a big fan of, of course, P.G. Woodhouse and Woodhouse novels often regard as very, very, you know, silly and light, and they are, but they're also supremely well motivated. I think there's an entire book where the entire plot is get kicked off by a character is just trying to read his newspaper and everywhere he goes in his house something is going wrong and he puts into effect a series of ridiculous schemes and everything else just so he can get 10 minutes alone with his newspaper and everything that happens <laughs> comes from that and I, I think that. that's absolutely supremely relatable yeah I can understand that and that's what I kind of wanted to put in here except it's in ancient Rome and if you're you know as I say trying to do something small and simple for yourself and go I just want half an hour to myself doing that might end up leading to a war and I find that very funny and also very scary but mainly funny yeah just to come back to your question so like about you know when it comes to like specific themes there were certain themes that repeatedly came up for the two of us and you know class was one power was another you know like inequality I think we were both interested in how we can reference what's going on in our everyday life uh, you know the, the 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 political decisions that we're seeing and the ways that society is affected by the ruling class today in the UK and Europe and America and how we can find ways to play around with that in the series as well those are things that kind of kept coming up over and over again and yeah. i think were very important to both david and myself it's trying to find those sort of themes and then I, I still find often the most relatable material is, is very is funny or comic in, in some way and though I do love of course all those you know I, I'm a big fan of some of those big sort of Hollywood sword and sandal movies like Spartacus or Ben-Hur, Covardis and Gladiator going to marginally more recent I say more recent <laughs> 25 years ago but, 20 years ago <laughs> but um, you know it's still recent for me but, but one thing they often tend to be is very very serious and characters are very self-important there's a great weight to everything and people are always brooding and looking very forbidding and again in my day-to-day <laughs> life I don't know lots of people who are constantly brooding and forbidding and I don't think most people really are and I think it can be one of those things that makes some people who think oh history is best you know that's in the past and you can't be you know the dramatization of it, it's not really for me and I go you know these people are still people they have very solid motivations and even moment-to-moment motivations and I want them to you know I, I want this to be a series which is just very entertaining on a scene-by-scene basis I do like a bit of melodrama of course I do but I, I don't know sometimes that some of these sort of films can be a bit too serious for their own good and I don't think things being so very sort of serious on that level is particularly realistic so hmm. I think actually being sometimes a bit silly is sometimes the best way to actually get at something that's very serious hmm. yeah 100 percent ah. This has been fascinating. (laughs) We are going to have to wrap up soon, which I'm very sad about. To wrap us up, I would like both of you to give essentially an elevator pitch of why people should continue listening and what they can expect from the show. (laughs) Well... I did warn both of them that I was going to ask this. (laughs) 
I tried to prep this question earlier and, and uh, don't remember anything now. <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest, you're doing a great job already. I'm interested. <laughs> it, it's all downhill from episode three onwards. It's just it's nothing. <laughs> great. Yeah, excellent. One yeah. of the things that will come up very strongly from now is the sort of um, the two plot lines moving side by side and influencing each other. One is the sort of the big power politics going on. We have Gaius and Mark Antony and, of course, Cleopatra, who will be um, making her a big entrance into the narrative in episode three. And so we have that story going along. But also we will have um, heard in episode two, Octavia discussing her new play with, uh, with Quintus, mm. the Palatine Players. The theatre company, the Palatine Players, will be um, a big significant plot line throughout this story as these sort of uh, these dual themes of, of politics and art and how they sort of uh, both influence people and motivation and loves and wants and lusts and everything else will become very intertwined as the series goes on. There will be a great deal of romance. Um, still to come. There will be episodes about uh, cultists and there'll be juicy murders, pirates. There's, there's, there's quite a lot going on over the next 18 episodes. I think mm. that's, that's, a, that's a few things to, to get kicked off on. Yeah. Get kicked off on. To kick us off. Get kicked off on sounds very <laughs> lewd. I meant kick us off. <laughs> They'll cut this. I might not. <laughs> I love that. I feel like David covered it all there. That's, uh, yeah, there's, uh, there's so much coming up. I guess I was just going to say, yes, come listen to some epic historical figures get up to a whole load of silly nonsense while trying very hard to be clever or cool. Yeah, it should yeah. be a great time. And I personally think it's really, really funny. So, you know, that's nice, isn't it? <laughs> Thanks, Laurie. <laughs> You're welcome. Well done, both. Yeah, thank you so much for joining me. And thank you, listener, for joining us. I hope you've enjoyed. And yes, and we will be back next week with more episodes. Next week, I believe we are meeting the actors. So we are basically spreading ourselves around, all everyone who was involved in this show. But for now, I'll say goodbye. And David and Amani, would you like to say goodbye to the listeners? Goodbye. I shall also be spreading myself around. <laughs> See you later. Thanks everyone for listening. See you soon. Hear you soon. Well, you won't hear you soon. You'll hear us soon. Amani, put down the gin. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely nailed it. Goodbye, everyone. Backstage at Cry Havoc is a podcast distributed by Rusty Quill and licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike 4.0 international license. It is directed by Armani Zardo, produced by Laurie Ann Davis, with executive producers Alexander J. Newell and April Sumner. This episode was edited by Laurie Ann Davis and Catherine Vanella. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>